Whenever you're ready. You were going to say, and like you're about to start it. I yeah. like that. <laughs> That's not really how this works. And welcome back to episode 90 of Cautiously Optimistic. What a day it is today. It's snow on the ground here in Kansas. I'm sure it's the same in LA for you boys. Yeah, absolutely. There's a. I'm looking out of this window. Uh, well, actually, it's a nice glass door here. Actually, now that we really get it get it right, um, and you can just see all this really, really wet, clear snow. You know, it's snow, but it's just more it's like, like watery. Yeah, it's like watery. Um, I believe I heard somebody call it rain. Perhaps I'm not sure about that, but uh, it is not sunny here either. Uh, it's a pretty gloomy day over in kansas and in southern california but it's not gloomy for cautiously optimistic it is episode 90 we are approaching big numbers here nine zero i'm feeling good about it um you know we actually have a special guest joining us later in the episode uh jesse who do you know who that, that might be well before we talk about a special guest i'm just curious that we're approaching big numbers 90 is not a big enough number for you 91 is, is a big number I think 92 is a pretty big number. Uh, it is our birth year. Well, 92, we love that. We love that number for sure. Yeah, I would Nin- just, I would, I would just say that 90 is a pretty high number. It is. It yeah. is. We're approaching triple digits. Yeah, yeah we're getting there. But, to, but to answer your question, our good friend, the friend of the pod, Mirren Fader, is coming on later today to discuss some of her stories. And as always, we're just going to chop it up about some random things. Always a pleasure to have Mirren here in the studio. Uh, so can't wait for that. Yeah, it should be a fun one. You know, uh, Marion always has tough choices. She can either go on, you know, NPR, or ESPN, or Bleacher Report, Scott's on podcast, or she can come on Cautiously Optimistic, you know, a syndicated, award-winning podcast that is probably high up amongst the ranks of those. So that's a tough decision. And speaking of tough decisions, Kyler Murray, guys, NFL, MLB, what would you choose? I know what I would do, and I think he's getting closer to figuring out what he's going to do too. Well, yeah, so I, he said he's tweeted out uh, this morning – he is declaring for the draft, makes him, he's going to go in the first round. Uh, I honestly, so this is the thing. Well, hold on. Before we get into that, I think preface, this doesn't mean he's selected football yet. He still has three days to decide between those. This just means he can potentially play football, and the A's have three days to turn him away from that. Well, there's that too, and, and so it came out that he's said that he wants a $15 million contract from the A's to stay with baseball, and so I guess then that question is, are the A's going to pony up and give him 15 mil? I don't know. I think that for the immediate future, this is the right call. You're going to get a bigger first contract with football because he's going to go in the first round. Um, so that, there's that. I don't know personally just how good he is at baseball. If he's a dude who can really be that guy and go and make the money in baseball, then yeah, pick baseball. But, I mean – He's going to get a huge contract in the NFL. Uh, he's projected first round. I think he goes top 15. Um, and you're going to get a huge contract right off the top. So that looks like you're something you could just get more money quicker if you go to the NFL. And there's more fame, I think, if you're a, that big of a stud. It's interesting. But baseball is a safer route. You're not going to – the chances of getting hurt, obviously, are lower. Um, it, but I think he's making the right move for right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's definitely pros and cons of each thing. The ironic part about it, though, is on his Twitter bio, it says it's easy, and this is definitely not an easy decision for him. If it, if if I had it, you know, if it was, if this was my idea of if I had this ability to play both sports and at, a high, at the highest level, um, selfishly, you know, I would try to play both sports. I know that's never going to happen in 2019, but you know, we've seen this happen uh, with players, you know, back in the day, like. 
I just think it would have been so cool to see a player play in the majors and in the NFL if he could figure it out. We saw the Russell Wilson like spring training at bat with the Yankees last year, which was kind of fun to see. But you know, they're never going to play these both sports full time, and I think that's a shame. I understand that why they're not going to do it, but um, at the same time, it seems like Kyler is a guy who is getting enticed by the NFL quarterback lifestyle. It's a much quicker rise to fame and stardom uh, that route. Obviously, yeah, you know, he, he, as Jesse said, you know, there may be more of a ch- chance if he gets hurt. Um, the money may not be as big, but I think this is the kind of guy who wants to live fast, maybe die young, uh, you know, just take that uh, mentality. Um, and I, don't, I can't really blame him. You know, he has the ability to play football and be the star that he can be really fast as opposed to chugging along the minor leagues, taking those buses. You, one, one second, one second, one second, the phone. <laughs> So it kind of feels like this is a guy who has been enticed by that lifestyle and uh, sort of like a live fast, die young kind of mentality where he's not going to have to chug along in the minor leagues, playing on, riding on buses throughout the middle of nowhere. Instead, he can be a quarterback right away, be a star of a team, Heisman Trophy winner. And uh, if he wants to take that route, I mean, I don't mind it. I just don't think it is the biggest, the best long-term decision for him, but I'm not him, so. Yeah, you know, I think go back to your first point, Darren, talking about his bio being ironic. Uh, and you think that he should play both sports? I think that's ironic because you can play no sports, Nick. So you know that's just an interesting way to live through someone else. But either way, I, I think he. What I like about the this <laughs> Okay, we're good. Do this today, Nick. What? We're sabotaging it so far. Are we ready? We're ready. Okay. Can I begin? Yes. Okay. So what I like about his decision is that he's following his heart. You know, he made it clear he wants to play football. I think, you know, anyone coming off of a Heisman Trophy, you can totally understand that thought process. And in the short term, it is a better contract, you know, or the better deal, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for example, a 30-second pick in the first round last year, Lamar Jackson, got a $9.5 million contract with a $5 million signing bonus. That's already more than what the A's uh, are planning on paying him now. And obviously that $15 million contract is what it's going to cost to get him to play in the MLB. Um, and for your question, Jesse, about just how good he is, well, you know, he's a top 10 pick in the MLB draft. you got to see a lot of potential in that. And for him, it's the athleticism that you obviously seen on the football field so much, good bat speed. Um, he would be a little far behind in baseball because he's obviously been concentrating on football more and every other person selected in the first couple rounds of the MLB draft would have been a primarily baseball player. So obviously you have more time to work, train, work on the small parts of the game. So he would have a little bit of catching up to do, um, which is tough because, you know, like as you said, he'd be in the minors. And uh, obviously when you have that much money invested in someone, you're going to get more chances than guys who are, let's say, a you know, 30th round pick or a 25th round pick. But uh, in the end, they're going to take the best players and let them move forward. So unless he got that, like, you know, getting a $15 million a major league contract, they'd have to change the rules of the MLB to sign a minor league player to a major league deal. Um, that would almost solidify you getting some kind of shot in, in the majors, I got to think, you know. So uh, it's weird. Uh, it's a weird situation. Obviously, this is something you've never seen before. Or, you know, even going back to someone like Bo Jackson, who was allowed to play both, that he wasn't in a situation like this. So for him, I think he's doing the right thing following his heart. Uh, but if it was me, I would definitely be playing baseball. Yeah, I think that it's just when I say, you know, I don't know how good a baseball, obviously top 10, you're, you're, you're very good. Um but again, you have to get through the minors, and, and that that's a grind in itself. No matter what pick you are, you know, not everyone is Bryce Harper and moves through that as quick as he did, or you know, like you can't you can't expect him to be able to do that. So, 
is he is he ready to go sit in the minors for a few years at the very least and then get up you know so that's where the question lies and I I just don't think he is and I completely understand that and him playing quarterback helps that decision as well because the the risk of injury is lower as a quarterback than it is for say a running back or any other position on the field so um, him being a quarterback helps that in the sense where it's like he probably believes he can have a long career in the NFL as a quarterback whereas like a running back the average lifespan career span of a running back is three years so um the quarterback, the position, plays a big part in that as well. Yeah, and people have been having a lot of opinions about this on Twitter, obviously, and I don't know if you guys saw that A's blogger who was fired for basically like tweeting at Kyler Murray saying, he, I hope you get injured playing the NFL and learn your lesson or something like that. Did you guys hear about that? I didn't see that. That's ridiculous. Fired, though. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy how much this is kind of like getting to people right now, depending on what he does. And um, I saw actually Alana Rizzo, who has her issues on Twitter, but uh, had a pretty funny tweet where she said, you know, Kyler Murray has the earth emoji by the football ball and baseball ball. So it was a pretty funny tweet. I enjoyed that from her. Um, But moving over to the Dodgers, you know, a quick little signing here. It looks like the Dodgers are uh, rekindling more of their old... uh, old guys here and that's Russell Martin is signed or traded I believe it was a low-end trade for Russell Martin to the from the Blue Jays to I guess be the catcher although it, it was my understanding that Russell Martin kind of was not really catching that much anymore more of being like a DH playing some third base um, over there in the American League but it looks like he's going to be the stopgap before those uh, young Dodgers catchers are ready what do you guys think of the reunion with uh, Russell Martin I love Russ I'm excited to have him back. I don't know what he's, what kind of numbers he's going to put up. I really don't care. Um, I love Russell Martin. Uh, I'm super pumped to see him back in the Dodger blue. He said that he'll play anywhere. He doesn't care. Like He just wants to compete for a championship, I saw was his quote. So he, he's ready to play whatever they need him to play. Um, and I'd love to see Russell back in the Dodger blue. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I'm waiting on, you know, uh, Cesar as tourist to get called back and mm. any of those 2000 mid 2000 type players uh it's interesting i think uh because like you said nick he doesn't really play catcher as much and you think that would be the role they kind of need him as that backup because i think that made it clear at this point um that austin barnes is going to catch a majority of the innings um so you know it's it's and it's really helped them that much unless you kind of have some kind of dramatic turnaround but you know i think it is fun for the fans and I, I guess that pretty much wraps it up for me yeah, and just quickly, uh, one more note about the catching situation. And we saw Yasmani Grandal sign with the Brewers for one year. Um, and that was one year, $18 million, and the Dodgers had the one year, $17.9 million qualifying offer. And supposedly there was some four-year deal from the Mets on the table, although people are disputing if that was actually there or if that just came from Grandal's camp. But it was interesting to see basically Yasmani not really want to uh or maybe bet on himself a little too much either that or not really to want to play for the Dodgers anymore because the deal he accepted was essentially what the Dodgers offered him as well do you, do you guys think there's anything to that or just kind of the way the market has been playing out in baseball this uh, winter it feels like the relationship between the Dodgers and Yasmani and at least with the fans I don't know it was kind of sour right there especially at the end of the year um so I mean he, he put up good numbers for us overall but I mean, I, it, it felt like it was one of those situations where both parties needed to move on from each other. Yeah, it's tough. He's just such a streaky hitter. And obviously, you know, I think you might have tweeted about this. I saw a few tweets about it, Nick. Um, he played so terribly in Milwaukee with the errors and the pass balls, and then they signed him to a contract. 
that doesn't, I don't know, <laughs> like, how you see that in the postseason, he almost handed the series away, then you're like, you know what, I think we need this guy. <laughs> um, it just doesn't, doesn't really add up to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is just, if I was him, you kind of, it's not that the Dodgers are a bad situation or you were bad for them, it's, May just be a time for a fresh start, move on, try somewhere else. Uh, maybe try and be a little more consistent. Because that's really the only thing like missing from his game is being more consistently defensive and offensively. And um, maybe just switching up locations and getting to the Midwest will do that for him. You are ready whenever you want. What a week of NFL playoffs that it's been. Lots of great games, some not as good, but overall, moving towards the end of the football season, only three games left in year so on, unless you're someone who counts the Pro Bowl, but uh, I don't understand why you would do that. So into the conference championships, let's start in the AFC, especially with the Chiefs there. Erasing some demons, getting their first home playoff win since 1994. You know, Joe Montana's quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, wasn't born yet, all that good stuff. Uh, and a, a dominant performance, I thought, especially by the defense, which is something that has been in the lower fourth of the NFL the entire year. So that was a nice surprise for them. And on a cold, cold day in Arrowhead, and it's going to be even colder this Sunday. Yeah, I thought it was a good win. I mean, one of the interesting notes is, you know, you, Travis Kelsey has been consistent all year, but this is when you need him to step up the most. And it looked like he was just that security blanket again. You know, they got to cover Tyreek Hill deep. They got to cover all these speed guys around the field. But then it's just Travis Kelsey on these, you know, 7 to 15-yard routes, getting them and then getting yards after the catch, making the tough catches too. He's going to be the guy going forward as well that's going to have to step up and really be that security blanket for Mahomes if they're going to get past the Patriots. But, yeah, a good win. I mean, like you said, Andrew Luck, one of the hottest quarterbacks in the league, if not the hottest at the time, um, they they pretty much stopped him. You know, they stopped that Colts offense, which was impressive. And if the defense is going to play like that again, then this is a team that you really, really need to be, if you haven't yet, put in consideration to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, very impressive performance by the Chiefs, especially because, you know, we, we've talked about their their past playoff failures, and it seems like they kind of slayed some playoff demons with this win. Um, they got they got the job done. They got the bye. They beat the team that they needed to beat, and now they're in the AFC Championship. But, Sully, uh, you were at the game there, and I want to know, when uh, the Colts had that blocked punt return for a touchdown to make it 17-7, did the uh, stadium there at Arrowhead get a little tense? Did the memories of all these past playoff failures start coughing back up for a little bit there until, obviously, the second half worked out? well for them but uh what was it and what was the uh, atmosphere like in the stadium yeah you know i think just throughout the whole state they all tensed up you know to bring it within it was only 10 points at that point would have made it made it 17-7 but just the actual idea that maybe this is going to creep up on you and do it again uh is something that's very fearful and i think chiefs fans hadn't quite gotten over it i don't know if they're still over it yet obviously have a huge matchup this Sunday now the patriots but at that moment that was probably the one point of insecurity for the fans in the game so besides that the offense just handled business and the Chiefs defense you know they didn't allow a first down to the last drive of the second or first half so uh, certainly a little tenser but it wasn't um, as overwhelming as other moments have been you know I obviously wasn't there for the 2016 game when the Colts came back from 28 points down or any of the other crazy moments in history there at Arrowhead or just in Chiefs playoff game history but um just the overall feel of the fans going into that game against the Chiefs. Um, 
was tense because of all the past matchups and all the lack of success and losses they've gone through. Yeah, definitely. So it looks like they're moving on. And then also the Rams uh, were able to move on another team that had a bye that came out strong and uh, won at home in that game at the Coliseum. The Rams beat the Cowboys. They had a lot of success running the ball in that game, which was nice to see C.J. Anderson uh, backing up Todd Gurley, who was actually back for this game. He returned. Uh, Gurley had a touchdown, but C.J. Anderson kind of stole the show with two touchdowns of his own, over 100 yards rushing. And the Cowboys really had no answer for the Rams' attack there. And apparently it came out later that the Rams may have been stealing some signs of the uh, Cowboys' defense to maybe help them out in that way. But either way, uh, as a Rams fan, I was pleased to see they came out pretty strong. Uh, I was a little worried about this game, as I discussed the last podcast, but uh, feeling a lot better after after this game. Stealing signs yeah. sounds so negative. I think it, what what was came out was that the the Cowboys tip their plays like it's not necessarily they're stealing anything it's the Cowboys tip it and the Rams said not that we were stealing it said we knew exactly what they were going to do so that makes it much easier to stop and that is a kudos to uh, the coaching staff for the Rams for being able to understand when those little things are going to happen and know what's coming and it's also uh, part of the Cowboys you can't do that like you just have to be better than that but you can't expect much more from a terrible franchise and from a terrible team called the Cowboys. Yeah, I think Jesse nailed it right there. And the same thing goes for baseball. You know, Nick, uh, it's kind of an old timer sometimes. It's not always with the times here. Stealing you know, signs, tipping, tipping motions. I, I'm, that's what I meant to say. There's, they saw something on the Cowboys' defensive line, uh, and they they used that to their advantage. I know it wasn't actually stealing a si- sign from the sideline. That was my miss miss uh, spoken word there. I apologize. Well, you had a chance and you blew it. But either way, we'll move on from that. Uh, just like the Rams are moving on as well, and I think. They, they just showed a little bit of, of what made them good at the first half of the season, um, consistent on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I think, as you said, if you have not only Gurley but C.J. Anderson working too, that's going to be really difficult backfield to stop with all the weapons they have out there. And when they're at full force, they're obviously great. They're a great, great team. And I, it's going to be a really interesting matchup with the Saints. Um, very similar teams, you know, have had streaks of really, really good football and really bad football this year. Obviously the Rams uh, took an L in New Orleans earlier this year. And now I got to go back and and conquer those demons. But um, for the Cowboys, I just have no faith in them, you know, and uh, Dak, it didn't play terribly, but it didn't play out of his mind. Um, You know, I think Jason Garrett now has a 10 win season, but is he really that great of a coach? Um, I don't know. It it just seems like that Jerry Jones's mind. It just doesn't, maybe that is good enough, but, I don't know why it would be. You know, I think that a fan base would expect more. You know, they want to get back to their prime era, and uh, I don't know if this is the team that's going to do that. Yeah, that fan base definitely expects more, and I, for one, as a fan of their rival team, love the fact that Jason Garrett is still the head coach and is going to continue to be. Love that Jerry Jones is still in charge because he's just not making the right moves to get them over that hump so that they can be a Super Bowl team again. Dak is never going to go win you a Super Bowl. He might win a Super Bowl, but he's not going to be the reason that you win a Super Bowl. He's just going to be the quarterback of a Super Bowl winning team, kind of like how I would say uh, you know, Joe Flacco even maybe. like the, the defense was the reason they won, but he was the quarterback of a Super Bowl winning team. Um, Eli Manning is one of those guys, and I know that's going to strike a chord with you there, Soul, but he was the quarterback of two Super Bowl-winning teams in my mind. Um, not to say that he didn't play certain good games. I just don't think he was the sole reason, but that's an argument for another day. My point is to say the Cowboys 
are very average. The fact that you just said they won 10 wins, and I forget that. Like The fact that they won 10 wins is hilarious because they were not a good enough team to win 10 times this year. I don't know how they escaped the season with 10 wins um, and even beat the Seahawks. We talked about that last week. But the Cowboys, this is exactly what they do. They underachieve. So and they have still not been to an NFC title game since 1995, which kind of proves the point there. So, uh, a team that has been to the title game quite a bit recently is the Patriots, and sure enough, the Patriots do exactly what they seem to do every year and advance to this game, no matter what kind of cards are stacked against them. Obviously, they have a pretty easy road sometimes with this buy in the AFC East, but we all thought that the Chargers were going to take this game. We all thought the Chargers had a better game plan, a better team, better roster. Yet uh, the, uh, the Patriots just come out in Foxborough. Tom Brady looks rejuvenated. Maybe he was saving himself for the playoffs, but they seem to push all the right buttons in that game against the Chargers, uh, go out to a huge lead, and pretty much wrap that game up in the first half. And I was extremely surprised to see that result. Uh, what about you guys? Well, you talk about Tom Brady, too, and, and looking rejuvenated. It was interesting. The report came out that he apparently sprained like an, his MCL or something in week one, and now he's finally healthy weird thing to kind of just keep from everyone so who knows the validity of it but um no i mean the patriots looked like the playoff patriots like that's just what and and it's a mixture of both like the patriots looked better than they had all year and then on the flip side the chargers looked worse than they had all year so i think it was just um perfect storm right there yeah it was disheartening i think you know because i think so many people uh but maybe the Patriots are a little down. Obviously, you can never count them out with Tom Brady, but you'd expect something closer than that. You know, just getting up 35-7 and pretty much just cruising to victory from there um, was bad. And then, of course, Tom Brady after the game talking about how no one thinks we can win. Like, dude, are you serious? Like, you guys have been to what? I think Tom Brady's had, like, it's like a 17-year career, and he's been to, like, 14 ASC title games, something like that. Like, there's no franchise that is more predictable of success that will never, ever be an underdog as a Patriot. So I just thought that was funny. Yeah, that, that quote after I thought was funny, too. Um, and I, I actually do, like, from the way that everyone was talking about it, I actually think Tom Brady believes that everybody thinks that they suck and that they think can't win. Um, but that narrative is all changing now. I mean, after that performance against the Chargers, I think that everybody, the, the Patriots are back on everybody's radar to the point where, you, you you now know again that you can't count them out. Where I do think in the beginning, people thought they were going to get counted out. I think a lot of people were picking the Chargers to win that game. A big part of it has to go with the playoff seeding too. Chargers had a better record this year than the Patriots did, but yet had to go into Foxborough and win a playoff game, which is very tough to do. So that's one of those things that, I mean, I think we all agree on that, that the NFL needs to change. Sure, you can put all four division winners in automatically if you want, but... The, the seeding for or the, where every game is played needs to go towards record. It can't just be you won your division because when the Patriots get to beat up on the Dolphins, Jets, and Bills, that's just not fair, you know, whereas the Chargers um, have the Chiefs to deal with. That's true. I, I agree with that. But at the same time, the Chargers, if they truly were the better team, they could have won in Foxborough, I think. You know what I mean? And they probably should have. They probably should have won this game. It's just a very odd result here and I think something you have to give credit to the Patriots as hard as that is for a lot of people in this country to do it's like everyone did count them out we all did and they somehow found a way of course you know Henry texted me right away like did you see the score and like yeah whatever all, all, the, all the Boston people will say this is just uh, Patriots being Patriots but I think this is just like a more of a random occurrence I think the Chargers win that game more often than not and it just 
and then that that way it circles back to your point jesse about maybe it should have been played in la but i don't know it was just a weird thing to see i really thought the chargers had that um and then going over to the next game the last game was saints eagles uh that game came down to the wire. Uh, poor Alshon Jeffrey let the ball go right through his hands, and it looked like they were going to um, win that game, or at least tie the game there at the very end uh, with the touchdown. They were driving there. But uh, the Saints, the number one seed, the Super Bowl favorites, move on. Uh, Nick Foles' magic has run out, and he probably will be not appearing for the Eagles again anytime soon. But uh, that game was pretty close. I, I thought that game was going to be close. You guys didn't think so. Uh, did you guys Were you surprised by the Eagles' performance there or maybe the Saints' lack of a attack there in that game? Surprised that the Saints didn't win by more. Um, Eagles put up 14 points. That's about what I probably would have expected, but I would have expected this, the Eagles to put up closer to a 30 spot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Saints kind of struggled, which makes things a little easier for the Rams possibly next week, but that's a, that's a whole other discussion because, you know, week by week anything can happen. Um, I don't think poor Alshon Jeffrey, you know, make the catch. That's all I got to say. I mean, I don't like the Eagles, so that's part of <laughs> my bitterness there. So I don't really, I don't really care. Um, if it was Nelson, I would feel bad for Nelson, Trojan, but it's not. Nelson actually catches his passes. Yeah, I mean, it's – Interesting, I think, just because, you know, you can't put that loss just on one player yeah. for the Eagles. And on the Saints' side, uh, you'd think that they'd perform a little better. You know, the Eagles just, it's kind of that team that no one wants to see in the playoffs, especially at this point, especially with Nick Foles in there. Um, and now they've come to a tough decision where it's, you know, they're going to have to let Foles go because obviously they made it clear that they're going to stick with Carson Wentz as the franchise quarterback and they kind of move past the time to trade him. So it's just going to be a free agent situation. And, um, you know, if you're Foles, you want to get out there and, and prove to someone that you can lead an organization, and you certainly earn that chance. So he'll be gone. And for the Saints, you know, they're they're going forward. That's really what matters. But you would have hoped for a better performance at home. Um, it's a team that obviously they come in the Super Bowl, not as good as last year, but they still kind of have that juice when they get in the playoffs. So maybe it wasn't correct of us to predict it to be more of a lopsided Saints win. But in the end, they got the win, and that's what matters, and, and made enough plays at the end of the day to, to secure the victory. And then, now that we've covered those games, we can talk about these next ones. Championship weekend, Saints-Rams, Patriots-Chiefs. Uh, this is, I think that, honestly, these are kind of the games that I think everybody would have wanted to see when you're looking at probably like four or five games in. You kind of get a little bit... Uh, of a sense of who these teams are and you wanted this playoff matchup pretty much you know I think if you would have asked people in week six I think is one when uh, Rams and Chiefs played they probably would have wanted to say I want that Super Bowl that's what a lot of people were saying during that game so if we get that in the Super Bowl I would love that so that's getting a little ahead these are four teams that I think everybody kind of wants to see three of the four best teams and then the Patriots are the are the demons they're the people that everybody hates um, and so you want to see them lose in big situations. So I think this is a, a dream for the NFL, at least, for these matchups. Saints-Rams, who you got? Saints-Rams, well, yeah, you said it's with a 1-2, 1-2 matchup on both conferences. It's what the NFL wanted. Um, Saints-Rams, we get the rematch. Those two teams also played earlier this season in the Superdome. The Saints won that game. A uh, big, big statement win for the Saints in that game to kind of take control of, of the NFC and never, never really relinquished it there. Um, so that gives uh, me, as a Rams fan, a little bit of concern just because they have to go back into New Orleans and beat a very good team, a team that you know has earned the right to be there, has earned that home field advantage, um, and they already proven that they could beat the Rams. So um, 
it's going to be a tough game for the Rams, but you know, if there's one thing that Sean McVay knows how to do is find and make adjustments, coach things out after seeing film. He studies film relentlessly as a, uh, you know, as we've learned from Miran Fader and her story that we're going to be talking to her uh, later on. But she, one of her first stories for Bleacher Report was about Sean McVay and his obsessiveness with making corrections and adjustments. So that is the hope for the Rams. You know, they, they've seen the, they've seen the saints on tape. They know kind of what to expect. It's just going to be a matter of executing now because uh, the saints don't make too many mistakes. They have a lot of weapons. Um, I'm going to take the Rams because I think uh, the second time around they will make those adjustments, but it's going to be a very fun game. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Saints wins. That's all I got to say. That easy, huh? We'll just leave for the talking on the field. Uh, I just think they're a better team. No, I, I think it's interesting. I think that uh, Marcus Peters is very fired up for this game, as we've seen. Uh, not a fan of Sean Payton. This is a this is going to be a really good game. I don't I don't think this is a blowout either way. I think this is one of those that goes down to the wire, and then history would probably tell you, hey, you should probably take Drew Brees in that kind of situation. And that has me leaning towards the Saints. But then the Saints didn't. Neither team played particularly well last week, so there's there's no momentum. There's nothing. This is, feels like it's just a toss it up. Let's go play ball, which is going to be fun. Um, but I. I, for some reason, I'm leaning Rams too. Um, I don't know if it's because I want to see LA in the Super Bowl or what it is, but uh, the Saints haven't been impressive to me in the last six weeks. Even you know the last couple weeks of the regular season, they weren't anything necessarily like they weren't special. It didn't feel like that was the team that was gonna go and just demand a Super Bowl. So um, not that the Rams were anything crazy either, but uh, I don't know. I liked the way I like the way the Rams are playing. Um, with Gurley and now CJ Anderson is proving to be a huge pickup. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean Rams here. I like that. I like that. I like that you can see the potential that is here with this young Rams team ready to make a statement, ready to don't get carried away here, <laughs> ready to go into new Orleans. And, uh, cause when the, when the Rams lost to the saints back in earlier in the season, it was, it was kind of the statement where it's like, this is your only real competition in the NFC, and if you want to make it to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to play them in the NFC Championship most likely. And so here we are. This is what it's all set up for them to do. I'm going with the Rams. I think they've learned from last year's playoffs. I think they've learned from winning a home playoff game. I think they're all better players than they were last year, better coaches. I think this is their time. I'm sorry, Saints, that you're going to have to end your season on another heartbreaking uh, home loss here. And uh, that that's my pick. Um, well, this is, this is the biggest thing for the game. Is it, they lost on the road last year, buddy. They lost. That's, they lost the Falcons at home in the playoffs. I'm sorry, the Saints, right? The Saints lost in Minnesota, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. Saints. So the the biggest thing for this game is Jared Goff, and it's not like he's an X factor or some like random kind of player that has to step up to make a a big game for them to win. Jared Goff is it? Is Jared Goff ready for this moment? That's the question. Yeah. And I think on that too, Jared Goff has been arguably or statistically one of the worst five quarterbacks in the NFL second half of the season. So. Um, mostly it's the playoffs at a different time you know they got it done against the Cowboys at home so we'll see how they can do in the Superdome um, you know obviously they're a worse team on the road but Saints haven't played like they did when they were playing the Rams first time so I think it'll be an interesting one um, so for the AFC guys who do you got there because I'm pretty sure you guys know I got the Chiefs just based on my coverage uh, and a chance of the Super Bowl online for me yeah I think this is another fun one I mean if you're looking at the regular season, you're saying the Chiefs are going to handle this and it's not really going to be too much of a test. But um, the playoff Patriots seem to be back 
obviously it's one game, and I don't know how much stock you can put into one game, but playoff Patriots seem to be back. And then you look at the weather part of it, and you mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier there, Sol, is um, I saw today that the high is supposed to be 10 and a lot of sub-zero temperatures, a lot of snow. It's going to be the coldest game in Arrowhead history um, if the weather predictions come out correct. So and, and in my mind, that favors the Patriots. Now, obviously, you don't want to be on the road, and that's where they're going. Arrowhead is a really tough place to play, and those Chiefs fans are crazy, and they're all still going to be out there making noise. But on the field, I think that, that those extreme temperatures favor the Patriots because the Patriots, all these guys have done that. You know, Brady, Belichick, Gronk, like not that Gronk's having an incredible season, but like these guys have been there in these ridiculous temperatures in the snow and they've got it done. So now Mahomes hasn't been phased by anything yet. And maybe this cold won't phase him either, but there's a lot of things that have to happen. And I think it favors the Patriots a little bit. Yeah, I really don't know what to think about this because that Patriots win over the Chargers really kind of skewed my perception on what I thought the Patriots were I, I thought they were done I thought they were kind of a team that was on the down downward trend and I thought the Chargers were going to easily ha- handle that game the opposite happened and now you have a situation where they're going into Arrowhead uh, the Chiefs are looking like a very comfortable position right here going to playing at home they're going to have to beat the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl it'll be a wonderful story for Mahomes to kind of slay Tom Brady to get to you know the promised land here again though the Chiefs yeah they have one home playoff win now can they make it two can they continue this momentum and not revert back to their old uh, issues in the playoffs whereas as you said Jesse the Patriots this is what they live for this is they've been there done this time in time out and uh, yeah the weather is going to favor them Um, it's really going to come down to I think something that we don't expect because I think Mahomes is going to be good I think Mahomes is in, in the right mindset I think Tom Brady and the Patriots are on the upswing they're, they're going to be their typical villain selves um, it's going to come down to something that we don't see and unfortunately in those situations usually if it, it, it benefits the Patriots and so that's why um, I think the Patriots are going to find some way to pull this one out of their ass and get back to the Super Bowl selfishly I kind of do want the Patriots to win as well just so I can have the Rams chart up the Rams Patriots uh, Boston LA like redemption for the World Series hopefully um, but it's going to be a very close game. Like I said, something weird is going to happen, but Patriots will uh, advance. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... See, this is the thing. is like I, I think the Chiefs have already kind of proven they can play in the cold. They did it last week. Obviously, it's going to be a little colder, but at a certain point, cold is just cold. And unless it's really snowing and sleeting, it doesn't make that big of a difference. The Patriots, you know, Jesse talked about how they've been there, done that. Really, the only players on this team now that have been there and done that are the three that you named. Everyone else is pretty much new. You know, they... Obviously, they, those three have been doing it for so long. you got to have turnover besides that. Um, and that does instill some confidence, you know, especially with the quarterback. Uh, you know, he can lead the way no matter what. But uh, that team, I think, is not necessarily that, that similar team that we've seen maybe five or even ten years ago from the Patriots. So it, it is a little different. And Patrick Mahomes just doesn't seem to care about any of those things. Nothing really phases him or that offense. You know, everyone looked great. Tyreek Hill looked great. Uh, Travis Kelsey looked great. Sammy Watkins coming back strong. He looked great. Damian Williams picked up the slack from where Kareem Hunt left, and, and he's been fantastic. Maybe not as good as Kareem, but he's certainly right up there as, as one of the better running backs in the NFL right now. Um, and the defense, the thing is, it, I think, you know, that's the X factor for, X factor for the Chiefs. Is they can play like they did uh, against the Colts, then they're going to win this game for sure. But if they can't and they get into a shootout, that's the nice part about the Chiefs is that they obviously have the offense to do that. 
Um, and, you know, they did lose to the Patriots earlier in the year in Foxborough, but uh, Arrowhead, they're just so much better at it. Obviously going 7-1, and one, as I mentioned, the Patriots' road record this year is not as good. Um, that's what gives me hope in the, in the Chiefs and, and makes me think they're going to win this game. And um, I don't see them losing at Arrowhead. Just being around this team and, and how they're feeling, you know, for the Patriots – not that it's you know nonchalant. Not that they're just as excited, but this this Chiefs team is so inspired, and they're so uh, their belief is so deep within themselves that they could care less about what is going on outside of the locker room, what is happening anywhere else. They just know that they can get it done. And they buy into one and another. I think that's the biggest difference in the end. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good point too. You a couple of those points is a the Patriots haven't been good on the road this year, and and that's very true. And now. Is it playoff Patriots or is it regular season Patriots? And is it how are they going to play on the road? Any like it's a toss up. I can see them kind of laying an egg on the road because that's what they've been kind of doing all year. Um, and then secondary, the 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 Chiefs thought where it's and understandable for the fans who have seen it time and time again where they just fail when it gets to playoffs or um, they've had all this letdown. Now the the players don't seem to care about that, like you just said. So it's like these guys weren't around when the Chiefs had success in the playoffs. Like, they don't care. Like, this isn't the same Chiefs team. Coach, you know, like, this is just – it's a completely different team. They don't care what happened in the past. They're ready for this game, and that does benefit them. Um, I'm just – I, I – Damian Williams has been very good, and but I'm, I'm just going to side with experience on this one. I think it's a, it's a toss-up. It's a good game. But um, I'm, I'm saying Patriots just by maybe a field goal, a couple points. And while all that football was going on, there was a matinee Clippers game at Staples Center. And this was a big game because the Detroit Pistons were in town. And that means Blake Griffin was back for his reunion with the Clippers as a visiting player for the first time. And, of course, you know, uh, Jovan, Miriam, they were all in the building. But Jovan kind of caused some waves here because he had a tweet before the game when Blake was warming up uh, saying that uh, Blake kind of swerved Clippers owner uh, Steve Ballmer there on his way to back to the locker room, and uh, Ballmer was kind of walking over, maybe wanting to say hi, kind of chop it up a little bit. Blake completely ignores him. After the game, uh, Blake had some words for Yovan to his face in the po- post-game scrum saying, you know, that was BS. Uh, and this comes after, obviously, Yovan had done a pretty nice feature on Blake over in Detroit. So I don't know where you guys stand on this. For me... I think Jovan was totally clear to tweet that because that's exactly what he saw. He was just being the reporter that he is, reporting uh, what he saw with his eyes. Of course, Blake had some differing opinions about it, and it probably was not exactly what uh, Jovan said, but what do you guys think about the whole situation with uh, Blake and Jovan? Before I get to Blake and Jovan, I just want to... Matinee or matinee? What the hell did you just say, Nick? You said it was a, the Clippers had a matinee, <laughs> and I don't know what a matinee is. I think I had a, I think I had a little uh, mispronunciation there. Yeah, I was uh, just a little confused for like the first half of you were talking because I was trying to figure out what a matinee <laughs> is. I didn't know if I needed to go to dictionary.com. But a little low on time. Nick gets a little worked up and talks too fast. <laughs> yes, but but moving on, I am also Team Yovan. You know, I've I've never been a huge fan of Blake anyway, so I think that one was easy for me, but. I get, I get where Blake's coming from, sure. Like, this is something he's been doing for nine years, he said. Um, this is something that Jovan knows he does. But, I mean, it's, it's an interesting kind of you, – you watch the video and kind of judge for yourself. I mean, look, Jovan has a video. He tweets what he sees. It wasn't a – he didn't say in the tweet, 
Blake Griffin aggressively avoids Steve Ballmer and sprints to the locker room to avoid him and not have to say a word to him. And it's like, no, this is what he saw. Look, Steve Ballmer was coming over to shake his hand, and Blake went. He was walking, found his path, and, and ran, which is apparently what he does every time. So I don't know. I, I get both sides. I get where Blake is coming from, but I think he got a little bit too in his feelings. And I also think that if the tweet doesn't blow up, then he's not even talking about it afterwards. Then it's not even a point of discussion. But the tweet blew up. The video went everywhere. Um, and that's where a lot of those issues come from is because everybody, all the eyes are on it and everybody's thinking certain things about Blake Griffin now. So he has to defend himself. Uh, yeah. The thing is, you know, all right, first off, I'll say, you know, I'm with you, Yvonne, on this. Obviously, you're going to tweet when you see. Maybe the thing about him yelling, you know, Blake, Blake kind of makes it seem worse as well. We don't know if that's true or not. Not that I'm saying it's not true, but I haven't really heard anyone else, and we have no audio to back that up. Well, you can kind of see, you can kind of read his lips. He for sure says Blake, Blake. I don't know how loud, but I know he does. You can see it on, you can read his lips. He does say Blake. <laughs> yeah, either, and what I'm saying is, either way, no matter what he did, this man raised a Blake Griffin banner to the ceiling at Staples and then traded him three months later, uh, I have no problem with him running away. And I don't even really think he needed to defend himself on that. You know, you could have just been straight and been like, yeah, I didn't want to talk to him. Because when you watch the video, it does look like he's kind of going towards the sideline, then he sprints away. Not saying that he doesn't do that every game, but I don't know. It was was just a weird, weird situation. that's probably every journalist's nightmare as well to be called out by a player in the postgame scrum like that. So, um, and specifically, like turned and looked at him too, which I thought was funny. But the the other thing is like he he liked a tweet, like not Jovan's tweet, obviously, but there was another tweet with the video, and the the, the caption said um, something like, you know, like you paid this man, said he was the franchise, then traded him, whatever, three months later or six months later, whatever it was. Um, you know, Blake has every right to do this was the tweet. And Blake actually liked that tweet. So, like, he knows what's going on. I don't know. Like you said, I don't think he needed to defend himself either, but I get what he's doing because it became a story and needed to be addressed. I'd rather him address it and talk about it than just say next question. So I appreciate him even answering it in the first place. Um, I thought he got a little a little defensive with it. I thought he got a little aggressive. And it's like, you got to, I mean, look, it's a tweet. And if it's something that you do every time, you, you don't need to get all upset about it. But... Even if he didn't. And then the next question was, uh, would you shake his hand if it wasn't in that scenario and like you weren't about to do, do that? And he didn't say yes. He said, I don't want to answer hypotheticals. So he didn't yeah. say yes. I mean, I think it was I'm all... The video again, and you can actually kind of clearly see him, see him saying Blake, Blake. Blake doesn't look at him, which I think is the interesting part. Like He always has his head down the whole time. So it's not like he acknowledges his presence then runs off he just runs off but either way i think as we're saying he owes this man no thanks and he owes this man no gratitude yeah. so i have no issue yeah the shout out to yovan though i think he kind of took it as a badge of honor and right, rightfully so you know his tweet blew up he reported something that was very you know polarizing and then uh blake looks at him directly so that's like uh you know that's good that's good reporting obviously not the kind of result that he wanted um and i but I think, you know, Jovan put it on his Instagram and kind of had some fun with it. So I don't think he's too offended about it. I, I uh, appreciate the whole situation, although Blake might not as much. But that's what you get if you're going to be a professional basketball player and have situations like this. So it is what it is. Um, one more thing on the NBA, which I think we have to really, really address here. Very important news. Um, Nick Collison is now not just my 
favorite player, probably non-Laker of all time, but he is now the first Thunder retired jersey. This is before Westbrook, before KD, before all those guys. Uh, my man Nick Collison now has his jersey up in the rafters. I couldn't be more proud. Just a shout-out to Nick Collison. Well, first thing, do you think they're going to retire KD's jersey? I don't. I mean, probably not, but maybe down the road when they have some more time to think about it. It's still too soon, obviously, but I think KD, as a player for them, when they look down maybe 20 years from now, I think they would consider it more than they do now. The only way KD's jersey gets retired is if he comes back and like wins a championship with them. Dude, you're crazy, Nick. There's no shot they're retiring his jersey. But yeah, shout out to Carlson, KU guy. People around here are excited about it. Everyone loves him, remembers that team with Kirk Heinrich couple of Iowa boys getting it down here in Lawrence and, and getting it done, making it to that uh, national championship game, uh, obviously losing that game in, in crazy fashion. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I've heard many, many times that your style, uh, you know, the garbage man type play is, is uh, Nick Collison S. Nick. So it's same first name. A lot of similarities there between you and the uh, former Jayhawk. Yeah, I'll always have uh... – a love and appreciation of Nick Collison in my heart because he reminds me of my friend Nick right here. Uh, it, when I see Nick play basketball, I think of the potential that could have been. He could have been Nick Collison someday. Um, you know, maybe that was the ceiling, but that you know that's a pretty good ceiling. So Nick Collison's forever one of the guys. We love you, Nick. I'm I'm super pumped that he's getting his jersey retired. Uh, I think it's kind of a weird jersey retirement, but you know, neither or either way, I'm excited. Yeah, these type of players don't get enough uh, respect, I feel like, you know? No, they don't. No, they do not. And uh, that's why we had to bring this up here on Cautiously Optimistic. Give him the respect that he's due. And as promised, we are joined by a very special guest who has been a friend of the podcast for a very long time, joining the Three Timers Club, the first ever guest to appear on Cautiously Optimistic for her third time, it's Marin Fader. How you doing? Hi, I'm good. Honored to be here. Forever friend of the pod. Forever friend of the pod. <laughs> and you know, we have a lot of things to talk about, but I want to get a burning question off right off the bat. Oh my gosh. Um, this is something that's been discussed in the cautiously optimistic uh, family, in, in the world of cautiously optimistic for a good amount of time, and it's it's a heated discussion. And I think the my co-hosts know where I'm going with this. How do you feel about pet Instagrams? Ugh. Are you allowed to have like a, an Instagram for your dog? Okay, my best <laughs> my best friend has one, so she's gonna be listening. So I can't say no. Well, Mac, you know, you can say no, Mac Doodle. But um, personally. I'm not into it. There we go. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. There we go. That's a, that took a 180. I thought you were going to be yeah. on my side. So, <laughs> so you missed that there. I just want to end for everybody who can only listen to this and, and cannot, unfortunately, be here. Uh, in the middle of that, Nick thinks he's locked it up, gives a fist <laughs> pump, and then immediately Mirren turns around and says, no. no. Yeah, that was that was Sorry. a beautiful moment I'm for me. Um, the, Mirren doesn't even have a human Instagram, so I don't think why she would... Be a, a fan of the pet. Oh. Mm, Sully is not lying though. That's that a very good point. And um, the back context is <laughs> Nick now has a, a, an Instagram for his, wow. his dog that he has with dog. his girlfriend. Wow. A dog Instagram. Uh, so you've caved. 
A little bit. So I don't have access to the account. I think I do, but I forgot the password. You for sure do. But it has my, like you're like locked out of the account. It has my name in the bio, so <laughs> I'll take some I'll take some accountability for it. Uh, I'm still getting used to it. I've never also been a dog Instagram person, but sometimes you got to make sacrifices and. Unfortunately, uh, that. yeah, we're yeah. calling it. You're already calling it a sacrifice. Wow. Well, you wow. Know, wow. It's not something I would ever make, but I'll, <laughs> I'll allow it. So there it is. Um, actually, sticking on the Instagram topic, uh, just curious since it is you know 2019 and everyone does seem to have an Instagram. What is the reason that you do not have one? <laughs> I get asked that a lot. Um, I just feel like it's a time sucker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just endless scrolling, and you know, we I have to be on Twitter for my job. That's like. Definitely. People would argue I have to be on Instagram too, but I don't think so. But it's just, there's only so many hours in the day. I have to report. I have to write. I have to, you know, eat. I have to sleep. I have to hang out with my friends, go to the gym. And like Instagram is just not something I want to spend my time doing. You are right. It is 100% a time sucker. And it's just one of those things that at least for me, I can't get away from it. And it's, and so if you can help it, don't stay away <laughs> but but also there is a lot of entertainment but i mean that's the thing you have twitter you get a lot of entertainment from twitter as long as well as all the you know sports and all the things that you need Just from the, it. i don't know if you guys have the update on your phone but i get these like weekly reports sent to me about how much time i spend on my iphone and it's always depressing oh. part of it because i'm on there for work like i have my work email on there i obviously got to be on twitter and any social media account for the job but it's still like my average time of day is like five or six hours, something like that. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. See, I, okay, as you know, I am a huge nerd. I read one book <laughs> per week, and so that's what oh. I want to choose to do with my time. That's really impressive. Right. I didn't even know there were enough books to read one a week. Oh, my gosh. So that's where I'll I start. Never, I'll never run out of books. <laughs> <laughs> you see other, other authors besides uh, Shea Serrano and J.K. Rowling? <laughs> That's go. all I know of. Yeah. And then Arturo does the illustrations. Shout out Shea Serrano real quick. They just got re-upped, so he's got two more books coming. Friend of the pod. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that is, that is impressive. You know, uh, holding out strong and not, not, not joining Instagram, uh, we can only appreciate that in a certain way because, you know, not, there's not a lot of people like you out there who do that. So um, it is, <laughs> it is uh, it. impressive in its own way. And, uh, you know, now let's get back to, you know, sort of more why you're here. You know, you are a writer at large, I believe is the title, at Bleacher Report. Um, and this has been, a, 2018 was quite a year for you. Uh, a lot of great stories. I just have some, of, I have some of the names listed here. I'll just try and go through some of them, but there's been so many. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, Candace Parker, Nate Robinson, Brandon Ingram, Devontae Adams, Stephen Carr, uh, Arike Ngumboale, Aaron Donald. Those are just a few, and there's probably some more that I missed there. Well, the, impre- the pause between... The one and then Enrique. I had that to get was one hundred percent. I hope yeah. I got it right. I was actually very impressed. Thank you. I had to do a pause. <laughs> I just there. let you go for it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been quite a year, and we just want to know, you know, heading into twenty nineteen, kind of looking back on twenty eighteen for you since we last spoke, I believe last February. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, a lot has happened. Uh, what does this year, past year, feel like um, looking back on it for you? Yeah, no, I appreciate you listening to those stories. I um, I really want to challenge myself in, you know, the most ways that I can. And um, as you can see, the stories are very different. They're about different sports, different people. And, like, I just look back and I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to take different leaps with, with tough subjects, challenging subjects, you know, whether it was, you know, the suicide story or the transgender story or just about literally the Ingram story, what it is like to be um, – you know, adjusting to life in the NBA, I want to take big swings and I, and I really want to, um, I want to write meaningful stories too. So 
hopefully I can just kind of keep up the volume that I'm doing, but, you know, also keep up the quality. And with that, too, so you talk about how, I mean, you want to take these big swings in 100%. So how much control do you have on what you end up writing? Because I know some of those get assigned to you, I'm assuming, and then some you get to just kind of pitch. Are, they, are you pitching all of them yourself? You know, it's a good question. I, I was surprised by this coming in, but, you know, 95% of what I do is what I pitch. Um, but, of course, I get assigned things, and um, it's a really team effort what we do. So it's not like, oh, I want to write about this, therefore I can. It goes through so many levels of approval from my editor and then the editors above and then programming team and, you know, really is this something that works for Bleacher? So my formula is it's got to be somebody that has um, national resonance, but it also it could be an issue of national resonance. And so a lot of times I write about high school kids that don't necessarily have that um, that resonance, but the story is universal. It's important. It's about a national topic. And so I just always try to keep that in mind. Like, I don't want just sports nuts to read my stuff. I want it to be human interest. I want people that don't know anything about the sport to be able to enjoy it or just not even enjoy it, just make them think. I want to make people think. Um, and so I just try to tackle like these big swing stories and luckily um, my editors have been super supportive. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good segue into the, the under a year with story. That was probably a very, very difficult one to write. Obviously, I, I know we've talked about this. You got a lot of pushback online, but you know, it's a very well-written story. It tackles the point perfectly and gracefully. What was it like? What was the most difficult part of writing that story? And also, if you want to just give a little background on it as well. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, Andrea Yearwood is a transgender teen um, in uh, Cromwell, Connecticut. Um, she's 17, um, a black girl, and um, it was really important for us to situate it not just in terms of um, you know, her identity. We wanted it to be intersectional because that's really what her experience is. You know, She's a black girl in an all-white town, and um, they don't accept her as transgender. They've uh, started a petition to keep her from running, uh, faced a lot of detractors on on and off the track. Um, and so what I wanted to do come in there, it wasn't the, the story that a lot of people wrote about her was, should she be allowed to compete? And that wasn't the story that I wanted to write. I wanted to write because first of all, she is allowed to compete in the girls division. That's according to Connecticut um, state law um, and their high school governing body law. So she's totally allowed to compete. I, th I thought the issue is what is it like being in her shoes when everybody says you should not run, there's something wrong with you, you're horrible, she gets death threats. So, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of put myself in her shoes and just take readers through what it must be like to have all of this on your shoulders. Definitely. And just in terms of reporting that story and getting the access and talking to her and the, the family and what was the most challenging part of that story? Because it is, you know, a different kind of subject matter that isn't really talked about too much, especially in sports, um, for you to go in there and tell the story in the way that you did. So gracefully, as Sully mentioned, just what was the challenges there they had to overcome? I think the first one is um, human storytelling in the sense of you're not walking into this girl's bedroom and saying like, hey, tell me what it feels like to be, you know, transgender. It's it's really just like you are a person and you are you go through unique experiences and I want to learn more about you. And so you know, getting her trust, getting her to open up, getting her, you know, emotional trust is a really hard thing. It does not happen in one hour. And so it's really just the time spent talking with her and the people that care about her to kind of establish that baseline. But I think also it was just like, how can I give context to the story without giving too much airtime to people that are, um, 
saying and spreading false myths about um, sexuality and identity. So it was really important in there to have, you know, what are what are professors saying? What are you know advocacy groups saying? What are what are her detractors saying? So it was important to me to talk to the woman who started the petition, and that was uh, one of the greatest challenges in writing this because. You want to put her in there because you want to understand what this other side is so upset about, but at the same time, you can't give her um, so much airtime to where she's um, she's almost like taking all the air out of the narrative. And so how many of those kind of people did you end up talking to? I mean, obviously not an exact number, or if it was just the one. Yeah. Like you, you, like you said, you want to have to be able to say that other side but not give them all that airtime. Was she the only one or were there other people that you talked to and slash and just didn't leave out or, or did leave out? I mean, so like what, what's that process going not only with the one, but with more of them trying to find them? Yeah, it was about like five people. I would say, I think the people that I did talk to in the piece who um, were more sympathetic to Andrea, they still had, it wasn't so black and white to where it's like, I support this, I don't support this. There's a whole lot of people that have a lot of mixed feelings about this. And I think the majority of people I talked to did have mixed feelings because there's so much ambiguity, there's so much gray area. They might want her to compete, but they they believe that it's wrong or they believe that it's right, but they don't know if she should be in this division or, you know, I think everyone is um, really confused on, on how they feel or they're very sure of how they feel, which is they hate her, um, which is why I began the story. Um, there are people that don't want her to run because that's what I think it's about. How do you respond when you live in an environment where they don't want you to do what you do? Yeah, and how did you... So this is the one that you pitched, I'm assuming? Yeah. How did you find the story in the first place? Well, I, I remember watching her on Good Morning America, and I remember it being a short segment, and this is um, this is what I love to do. I love seeing like these short things, and then I get really excited and nerd out, like, oh my God, what if we could do 5,000 words on this? <laughs> and um, I was like, this deserves a long-form treatment. Um Katie Barnes of ESPNW did a really good story on um, Andrea, as well as Mac Beggs, another transgender athlete in Texas. And so I thought, okay, she kind of a split between two people. I was like, I want to focus my time on Andrea. And nobody had really talked about the petition in terms of like um, the emotional effect on Andrea. Mm -hmm. It was just like cut and dry. Should she be allowed? Should she not? But I thought there was so much like room for depth about, you know, human storytelling. And, and that's where I wanted to come in. Definitely. Yeah. And looking back on other stories you've done in the past year, um, would you have a favorite or the one that kind of stands out to you as fun to report or fun to travel to a city for, or maybe just the, the subject was enjoyable to speak with? Uh, do any of those specific stories stand out to you in the past year? Can I name a couple? Yeah, sure. Um, I thought the Liz Cambage story was really fun um, because she is a woman who is known as this confident woman. She's glowing. She's like a baller. She's a model. She's a DJ. Um, but we just really connected in a way that I felt like, wow, you know, I don't... I, I am a woman sports writer and that's okay. You know, I don't have to feel like strange walking in. It was, she, we just clicked, mm. you know, and I thought that was really cool. Lithuania, I would have to say that because I feel like I 
really grew up as a person there. Um, I wasn't hired full-time by Bleacher yet, and that was really like a proving moment for me. And it was so hard, um, as we talked about in our last yeah, episode yeah. here, but um, with which had the greatest name ever, by the way, straight out of Lithuania. <laughs> Love that. Um, yeah, that was such a hard story. And um, Christina Tapper taught me so much about reporting and how to make the most out of a situation. And then the final one I will say is uh, the story I did on um, suicide and Mm -hmm. and CTE in football. Um, James Ransom was a 13-year-old boy that um, suffered a concussion, a traumatic brain injury, and then he ended up committing suicide. That was the hardest story I've ever written by far. Um, It continues to haunt me because you know, you're writing about a person that's not here. They mm-hmm. don't get a chance to say, hey, I don't like that, that you're putting this in the story. Hey, that's not right. That was really, really hard. So I'm proud of that I, you know, took that chance and took that risk, and I'm thankful that, you know, I had editors that believed in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, going like, back to another, like, more recent story, Nazir Little, I thought that was very interesting as well. You know, it's not your atypical top-tier prospect who kind of goes against the one-and-done thing. I think that's sort of what the story focused on as well. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you learned from that experience as well and about one of the top players in the country in college basketball? Yeah, that story um, meant a lot to me because um – you usually there's there's only a couple stories in sports writing really there's somebody breaks through from like bench player to star and like look at their rise or somebody went through adversity whether it's like an injury a death or blah 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 and then there's this like he's so good at his sports story so there's like pretty much like three stories but this was different in all of those ways because this is like somebody was charted for success and he was going to be a lottery pick and everything was great and then all of a sudden he's on the bench and the path looks different and so that's what fascinates me it's like who are you in these moments of adversity when the path looks different it's not an injury it's not a death it's literally like you are now playing for a coach that says I think you need to be better and you're not where I think you should be and so um, he has to kind of look at everyone else who's succeeding, right? We all know these feelings. We look around and we see other people doing better than us and that's hard. Well, that's what he's going through. He's looking at the guys at Duke and he's like, oh my gosh, they're everywhere. And what am I doing? I'm on the bench. And so um, he is struggling, but he is getting better and he's learning to let go of perfectionism. So that was an important story. And that's one thing that I noticed throughout the the story as well as there's like this hint it's just like the overall feel of still positivity through him yeah um which is really impressive and is that something that you kind of focused on doing or was it truly where he's sitting there and he's like you know what like and it seems like it truly is him where he's sitting there and he says you know i i know where i'm not good and i know where i'm good and i know how i how good i can be and it doesn't seem like he resents anything no, you're 100% correct on that. It's real. It's really genuine. Um, he is probably the most mature athlete I've ever talked to like in my career. Um, I know so many guys who would be in that situation and they would sulk. They would give attitude. They would blast their coach on social media and in interviews. And, you know, you, you could just see it. They would say something like, well... I don't put myself in the game or like, you know, know? and so just to see the way that he was really positive about it was, was cool, but it was also, he's positive, but at the same time, he's hurting. Like, this is so hard. Like he might not get Mm -hmm. his NBA dream. And so this was a hard story to write because I wanted to show the positivity, but I also wanted to show like, Hey, this is real. So it's kind of like the dad said to me, he was like, it's not like the sky is falling, but we are very worried. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Jesse on that one. Uh, 
that was actually one I read most recently and just the way that he kind of his attitude about everything seemed to be generally positive which was interesting because of the subject of his sort of maybe downward trajectory but he still thinks he's on the upward trajectory he just has to learn more which I thought was you told very well um and there was actually kind of I, I saw similarities between that story and the Brandon Ingram not obviously mm-hmm. like Brandon Ingram is in the NBA obviously you know, but it's still like he's not where he wants to be right. that and it's kind of similar did you were you seeing those as you were doing the story the comparisons or you know that's really that's a really good question because I do feel like perfectionism is such a theme among players and so I don't intentionally try to do that it's mm-hmm. just that I think um, when you are at this level, there is a very high level that you are expected to. And I don't think people understand that like every day you have to look at yourself and judge yourself. And it's not just America judging you. It's not just your coaching staff judging you. You look in the mirror and you're like, am I the player that I think I am in my head? And that's really, really hard. And I think like the great ones have that measuring stick where they're never quite there. It's just the degree to which that perfectionism cripples you. And I think the difference between like Nas and Brandon is that um, Brandon is, it's more so in his head with the perfectionism. Nas literally has weaknesses within his defense that the coach is like, you need to learn this before you get out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more just like, how is he going to get those tools quickly? And I think also I wanted to show that the story's bigger than him. I think it was really a story about our expectations for freshmen and how college basketball yeah. one-and-dones have really um, – it's changed so much even over the last five years that the expectations that are on them are just so enormous that you can't really – Sometimes you can't live up to them. Yeah. And painting that picture of if you're not a one and done, that's not a bad thing. Right. Or what are what are the other things that you're gaining besides one year of experience? Are there things to be gained by being pushed and being told you're not good enough? I think so. I, I thought um, his AU coach had the best quote of the piece. He was like, you know, this right here that he's dealing with is a whole lot of be- whole lot better than people saying, um, you're great, you're amazing, you're winning. That's a different type of poison. And I forgot the exact quote, but I thought that was really a good quote. And sticking on Brandon Ingram for a second, I, the timing could be wrong on this, but I believe uh, right after you uh, dropped that story <laughs> is, is when he threw, threw hands there in the yeah. game. <laughs> as, as a writer, when, you, when that situation comes up, especially with that timing, uh, what, what goes through your mind in those kind of situations? Oh, my God. I was cracking up. My uncle texted me. He was like, did you spike Ingram's drink? And I was yeah. like, no. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you said that. But, yes, um, I was – first of all, I was kind of shocked because the part of the story was about, like, oh, tiny dog, he's so quiet and so nice and just – he skipped prom because he wanted to go work out nice boy from North Carolina you know and then he was like wham and so I (laughs) so I was a little surprised but then again you know the silent ones are the most Mm -hmm. intense and so I was like you know I'm kind of not shocked about tiny dog but (laughs) set a good a good tone I think his teammates I think that's the one thing is like he he's a he's a guy that guys in the locker room like being around and I think that even though it came out in a really like intense way, that was his way of showing his teammates, "Hey, I have your back." Yeah, one hundred percent. He's still a dog, tiny dog. Yeah, he's still a, a dog. He's a dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think all of your subjects, Marion. You know, they have things that you know their lives are changing. They're at points in their career, or you know, whether it be still in amateur athletics, where they're making decisions they need to advance it. And that's the same thing for you. You know, I'm sure you've never had to experience as much travel and things like that for your work. What's 
the biggest change you've had to go through that, you know, maybe someone who wants to be a writer uh, doesn't understand until they're out on the road? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I think there's a lot of people that want to be sports writers, but there's not a lot of people that want to do the work. And I think that people think it's glamorous and, oh, you know, you're going to Kentucky or you're going to North Carolina and you're traveling, but they don't understand that um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it too. Um, you know, yeah, this is my dream and I'm chasing it, you know, grabbing it with two hands, but every story I want to, I want it to be better than the last one. And that's a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And I think that a lot of people don't understand what that takes to kind of always keep pushing and, um, and, and really just doing the work. I think we live in like a social media age, as we talked about at the beginning where, you know, there's so many people with so many like followers and we don't really know what they do. You know, I look at them and I'm like, wow, like this person's so famous, but like, what do they do? You know? And I think I always just try to remind myself like, it's hard because you you end up comparing yourself to so many people, but you just need to remember it's really about the work. It's really about the work. It's it's about doing good work. And so as long as I can do good work, that's all I care about. I think it's what's unique about this time in my life is, so I'm five years out of college and now um, a lot of prospective writers are, are emailing me and that's such a... Um, that's such an odd thing to kind of go through because that was me very recently. Mm. And, um, and I know that when I was reaching out to people, sometimes a lot of, uh, writers wouldn't respond. So I make sure to respond to every single call. You know, I make the calls every week. I do those things cause I want to help people. But I do think that it, people don't realize, you know, it's a grind. You have to really, it's not about wanting it. It's about doing the work. Yeah, and you mentioned that it's a grind and continuing to learn new things and continuing to work and unlock new strategies. And just in this past year, have you, through your experiences, through your new reporting, have you learned anything new about yourself as a writer that kind of was like an aha moment where you unlock something or a new strategy? Yeah, I think that I'm gaining more confidence as a writer, and I can see it in the way that I'm not afraid to like uh, make opinions or describe people. I remember um, when I was at the OC Register, um, I had an editor that was very like old school, patriarchal, like you know, didn't really um, didn't really like it when I took those risks of trying to explain something. And you know, one day he yelled at me, and he was like, "How do you know that? How are you just gonna say that?" And, um, and I had just made an observation, you know, tried to put a little bit of color into the story, but now I see myself pushing kind of past those moments and saying like, no, I, you know, I'm gaining confidence in my own writing voice. Doesn't mean I'm there. Doesn't mean I want to be where I am as a writer. Cause I don't, I know I have weaknesses to work on, but I at least see the confidence in myself saying like, no, I'm allowed to have an opinion. I'm allowed to describe what I want to describe. And I think that it's just a matter of like always getting better and, and Get, trying to gain more confidence you know writing like basketball is a confidence game it mm -hmm. really is it's people think it's technical people th writing is a confidence game do you ever step back and maybe in the middle of a story or if you were doing something or even in between a story or two and make parallels to the people that you're writing about and yourself because it seems like uh, and not seems like i know you put in all that hard work yeah but then all these people that you're interviewing and reporting on are also putting in a lot of hard work and it's about gaining confidence and a lot of these things and I know you have a, a sports background as well so yeah. does that sports background or maybe even just seeing these people going through these grinds obviously not the same exact thing you're writing they're doing their thing but 
Do you make those parallels to yourself and does that ever help you or hurt you in reporting one? I definitely think that there's parallels. Like I can't undo all of my experience in basketball, which, you know, as you know, I'm five foot one and, you know, I had yeah. to like work my ass off to get to where I wanted to go in basketball. And, you know, a lot of people said, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You're not tall enough. And so I've always kept that chip on my shoulder. So mm -hmm. I do feel some sort of semblance with athletes that are grinders you know, are doubted, do have chips on their shoulders. At the same time, I absolutely divorced my own experience from theirs because, you know, their story is not my story and my story is not their story. But what I do think basketball gave me was empathy. And I think that, you know, empathy is probably the most underrated skill you can have as a reporter. It's not like, hey, I'm on your side. It's just, hey, I'm here to listen. And if you need eight hours to talk to me about whatever it is that you are and want to talk about, I'm here for eight. Better yet, I'll be here for 10. Yeah. You know, I think that's what it is. It's like bringing that empathy. And that's how I feel like I'm able to connect with athletes and tell their stories. Sorry, just going to quick pause. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're going to start this, Nick? Yeah, you can start it off. Okay. All right, Baron. so, you know, obviously you've given us some great insight there on your career, what you do. I'd like to say personally I appreciate you answering those kids because I sent out a, certainly a lot of those letters to journalists and everything like that, so that's great. But here's a real test for you. You know, this is where the real professionalism needs to come out. We're going to give you some rapid-fire questions just going in order. Um, and this is going to relate to any subject – uh, that you've written about, any person that you've written about, just give us your honest answer. We'll just kind of go in rotation here. I'll start it off. Who's the funniest person you've interviewed? Nate Robinson. <laughs> Why? He's just, he was he was watching Chris Paul not playing. He was like, man, I could get buckets wounded. And, <laughs> and I was just like, Nate, you're my spirit animal. But yes. <laughs> yes. I know, Jesse, Nate was one of your favorite players back in the day. I mean, Still yeah, is. you know, short guys, you know, we got to love Nate. And he always had the dumb bounce. Always <laughs> one of my favorite players when he was playing for sure. Actually, was with him, back at SC, there's a place called the Lorenzo. It's a apartment complex they have a basketball court they have two basketball courts i was actually down there one day playing and then nate robinson just showed up cleared the court and then was like yeah i'm shooting now yeah and so he just and it was when he was one of those times in, in between teams so he's just getting his workouts up and yeah. the dude is like it makes you appreciate and we're off on, i'm off on a tangent now i'm sorry but it makes you appreciate how good these guys are because yeah. i stood there and i watched him for half an hour and saw him miss two shots <laughs> yes and i appreciate the tangent because i was just about to apologize for not making this quite as rapid fire as what rapid fire is defined as i was just i was, <laughs> I was just very excited to, i was very excited to learn more about nate robinson because i enjoyed that story um so i guess we can keep going going down the list and if we want to go on tangents we can if not that's fine too but my question is who has the best hair of anybody that you've interviewed who has the best hair? It's got to be Devonte Adams. I watched it get I watched it get braided. It's funny. I have a group chat, a great NBA group chat, and they always make fun of me. They're like, "Why do you always have hair references?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm just trying to describe and set the scene." Okay. <laughs> Doing what separates Mirren from the best, like everybody, you know, Mirren always putting out great articles. But one thing that I always consistently see is no one sets a scene better than Mirren Fane. Yeah. Oh, I the bro the that. broken pop tart. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. At first, I was like, "Is this corny?" Like, I had to ask a bunch of people <laughs> and they're like no keep it okay so next question nate robinson not allowed because you just answered him with this and it's a similar question but who is the most fun the best to hang out with liz cambage mm, yeah i would I mean, like to go shopping with i liz. enjoyed learning 
more about her because I, I obviously I just knew she had the fifty three point game. Right. But the whole backstory, I had no idea she was a DJ and all that. So that was crazy. I know. Did you see her quote tweet of Zach Fox recently? Yeah. That was amazing. Her social game is very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. great. Uh, Sully. Okay. Miran, what about you've been in a lot of places? What's the best city you visited? Hmm. The best city. Okay, now it's supposed to be rapid fire, and I'm failing. Um, literally blanking. Uh, I I went to the suburbs of Georgia, which was really like peaceful and pretty, honestly, because mm-hmm. I'm used to just like being in the city. Yeah. And I'm never like in kind of tucked away places like that. Um, yeah, I really like Georgia for some reason. Mm. Maybe this won't be easier than worst city you've ever visited. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Lithuania was rough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was the greatest experience of all time. I'm very thankful. Okay, I'm going to go on my brand here. The best meal you ate. Ugh, I don't eat good on the road. In what sense? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I eat good in the sense of, like, I can have a meal and be paid for which is great but um it just ends up being like a lot of like bad things like i get desperate i'm like okay can i have another snickers and then it just turns into like oh we're gonna get another cookie and then it's just i've eaten five cookies and yeah i'm just confused about where the bad part of that was i mean yeah yeah, okay i need to stop here for a second because I, we were gonna do our segment called the fast food flavor and i was saying like we gotta sorry I, no 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 I was going to say, uh, Miriam, since she's been on the road a lot, I'm, I'm sure she's probably eating more fast food now than she did last year when we talked to her, when she didn't really eat that much fast food. That's and true. now you said that you, you know, you don't eat that good on the road. So I'm it's like, so I was, is it fast food? Is, is it, it's, is it confirmed? It's not, <laughs> it's not fast food like that. It's just a lot of like, oh my God, yet another like chicken teriyaki or like just going mm-hmm. in. So technically, I, me technically, and Sully still win. I mean, yep. uh, <laughs> technicality, maybe. Yeah. Like, okay. When I was on the road a lot, like for baseball, we were traveling. We ended up going to like a ton of like BJ's and Chili's. Yeah, and it's Apple. it's totally like Chili's all day. I mean, that's why I, <laughs> I like they pay for it, so it's amazing. But I just mean like. I, as you know, like I'm, I go to the gym six days a week. I'm very healthy. I'm very on it. And then when I go on the road, I'm like, I want all the chocolate in the world. And hey, look, Chili's got brought up, and I, I don't want anybody <laughs> disparaging the Chili's name because Chili's is incredible. Chili's gets a bad rap, and Chili's got some heat. All you can eat rib dips and like chicken tenders right now. Is that Chili's or Applebee's? I don't know. It's one of those. I think it's Applebee's. Chicken tenders. What yeah. about this? Has there been a place on the road that you've visited that is not in California, but you've been like a repeat visitor somewhere when you're working out there? No, but there's this place in Louisville that had these donut holes and you could dunk them in chocolate sauce and they came with rainbow sprinkles. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. You deserve this. A hundred percent. Even if you didn't deserve it, you should do it. It was amazing. It was amazing. Here's a, here's a tough one getting back to the very slow paced rapid fire question. <laughs> <laughs> of all the subjects that you've interviewed, who do you think you have the best chance of beating at their own sport? Oh my god. Um, wow. It's gotta be a high schooler. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe they'd all kick my ass. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to do a shooting competition with uh, my latest, AZ Fudd. Mm-hmm. That girl can shoot, and I love shooting. But. Okay. 
What about this? If you had to challenge one of your subjects in a different sport, who do you think you would challenge in in what sport? Oh, my God. Well, we need to stay far away from football because I would okay. die. Um, so no Aaron Donald. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. go against Aaron Donald, the man who chews three mouth guards before every high school game. Um, it would be cool to do something on the track with Christian Coleman because I, I actually really enjoyed that story because track does not get a lot of um, publicity. And there's some really motivated, talented athletes, mm-hmm. and he's really cool. So I would like to do that. Nice. Um, what about this? This one's going to be more wide-ranging, but the biggest surprise, whatever that may be, of the past year, whether it was something when you were reporting or a reaction to a story or just something that you were surprised about. I was surprised that I was asked to be on NPR. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool and nerve-wracking, and I went to their Culver Studios, and it was just such a cool moment. I was just sitting there, and this person put me in a room and was just like, wait, because the other guest was late, and so I was just literally like, what do I do with my hands? Like, I was just <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. And, uh, yeah, so that was really exciting. Okay, most stylish. Most stylish Liz Cambage. Uh, I figured that was what I, mean, I had to say just in case. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, Brandon Ingram is very stylish. Slender Man. Yeah. Yeah. He has. Sometimes you know on, a, on that team, doing it's that weird. in LA, that'll, that'll do it to you sometimes. You know, being in LA for you a have while. To. So, do you think then? Do you think just a, a piggyback? Do you think he's the most stylish on the Lakers? I mean, I don't want to. Because there's coups. There's far. you know, there's a lot of guys <laughs> that really love their style game on the Lakers. I know he's not. He's among. Okay. He's among. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I actually have a. Are, if we're are we done with rapid fire? It looks like we might be done with rapid fire, unless you have any other ones. It's not necessarily top. a rapid fire. It could be if you want. Personally, I'm <laughs> curious. Uh, you recently tweeted out a picture at the USC women's basketball game. Mm. Can you tell us anything about that? Mm. Well, it was. I'm writing about somebody on the opposing team. I figured, but I was just, you know I was hoping <laughs> I was hoping we were talking about it, and I was like I'm going to ask about it and hope it's SC, but. You know, is it a tall player? I, the other, the other, okay. the other team is better. You know, just so, a little bit better. Yeah, a, a tad bit. Yeah, I don't want to. I didn't want to just completely wreck my my team, but they're, Oregon may be better. You know what? Like on a serious note, some people ask me like, "Why do you keep writing about women?" Like, and you know, to me, I'm like, "Why not?" Yeah. There's great stories there too. I feel like you mix it up pretty well, yeah. and I feel like a lot of the the women's stories are more untold. They're all untold. So it's like being able to get those out is huge. Yeah. Especially that WNBA one about the whole wage, like the whole salary and everything. That right. was just such a such a big story to kind of like condense and tell it in a succinct way. And I think you did a good job with that because a lot of people have been sort of mentioning it, but not really like digging deep into it. So that was a good one of yours that I forgot to mention earlier. But no, I appreciate it. Um, and my last rapid fire question for you here: If you're going to start a profile on Jesse and you're going to describe his name as you've done for everyone else, what were some of the words that you would use to describe? Amazing, incredible, mm-hmm. brilliant, loyal. Yeah. You forget Jesse and I were interns at the Sparks together. Yeah. Good time. I, I, better than that mullet. <laughs> we love the mullet. Did I? I didn't have the mullet. I just cut it oh, when I started. I didn't have the mullet with the Sparks. I just cut it, like yeah. like within a year before of me starting with the sparks i remember that actually that is so funny you know i think of i think of the sparks when i think of chicken tenders oh i was about to say don't i heard you say chicken tenders when we were talking about chilies <laughs> <laughs> or applebee's whatever it was and i wasn't you know i didn't i didn't let that go it's true it's true very good soft spot for chicken tenders 
Who doesn't love chicken tenders? Who does we, not? We asked love that question I mean, just before you got here. Uh, we were ta- we were, I think we were talking about chicken tenders because of that. Yeah, sparks and the sparks. And, and, sparks and, and it's real. Yeah. What do you dip your chicken tenders in? What? What do you dip your chicken tenders in? Oh, my God. Okay, I have really come to like honey barbecue. Mm. Okay. Honey barbecue. Yeah, like it's such a distinct... Yeah. Sully and... Well, actually, Sully and I are both a little disappointed that you didn't say ketchup. I don't know if you saw Sully's <laughs> ketchup report. Um, he did a, a report with the Chiefs and uh, Patrick Mahomes and how he likes ketchup. But I've been I, made fun of for my ketchup. Like, really? Yeah, okay, like, because one time I asked for, for ketchup when I had steak, and the waiter was mm. like, what are you doing? That is a high point of contention, because Mahomes sorry. came out and said that he likes ketchup on his steak. It's not and he weird. And got, he got wrecked for it. I so, know, Sully, would you like weird. to uh, share your opinion here? So, Mahomes has gotten to the point <laughs> where he's embarrassed to ask for ketchup at a restaurant. Because I know, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> Anyone of us are at that point. Nick, you know, Nick could bathe in ketchup. He'd do it. For me, uh, as far as sauces I've been dipping in, I, I do love ketchup. I'm not going to say I don't, but chicken tenders, barbecue sauce, or ranch, uh, mm. or even a little honey mustard. Really, uh, mm. most sauces will work well with it, I think. I've been ketchup shamed. Like, I can't do it anymore. That's hilarious. Although, <laughs> Join the club. Cane, hot sauce and cane sauce, and that's hard to beat. Cane sauce. Cane sauce is incredible, but it's so specific, and you can... Really only get it at Cane's, or if you know someone that worked at Cane's, shout out Joe, made Cane sauce for us from scratch. <laughs> that was lit. But I'm a, I'm a, a buffalo guy when it comes mm-hmm. to, I mean, mostly nuggets, but like nuggets and tenders, you know, they're, they're pretty similar. So I like to go with a little buffalo sauce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, I was ketchup for Halloween this past year, so that, that, that's, what, <laughs> yeah. that's what ketchup is for me. Um, but uh, at the end of each episode, as we've done before, uh, we want to know if you have any interesting takes or shout outs or any plugs or you mentioned the upcoming story about Oregon but anything else that you'd like to just tell the world the floor is yours um yes um I would like to give a shout out to Christina Tapper um she's our managing editor at Bleacher Report and um she just left um but she really made us all so much better I know she made me better she's my mentor she's the woman I want to be like and um I just really cannot thank her enough um what she did for BR Mag was amazing I know every single writer got better um under her and that doesn't always happen so definite shout out to Christina there it is. Love to see that. <laughs> yes, well, we, we appreciate you taking the time, Mirren. We appreciate you dealing with our uh, slow, rapid-fire question. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, tasks and all that good stuff. Look forward to reading all your future pieces. And, of course, if you haven't checked out any of your most recent work, you can go check her out on Twitter, uh, not on Instagram. <laughs> Let well, them know. Mm-hmm. We really got the, the personal Facebook page. but So just check her out on Twitter, and that'll work. That's at Mirren Fader, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at Mirren Fader, Bleacher Report. She's been doing great work this past year. We expect nothing less this coming year. Um, we're just happy to have you back on here for a third time, cautiously optimistic. I just hope you remember where you started. And uh, we liked it. we're proud of your development because we feel that you started with us and now we're kind of sending you out into the world and uh, you're never looking back, but you are because you're on it for a third time. But I love cautiously optimistic, <laughs> always friend of the pod, forever friend of the pod. Yes. yes. We're going to use that drop, by the way, the whole, that I love cautiously optimistic right there. Every episode every from now on, <laughs> that's a drop. Easy. Easy. Yes. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.